Uh, we're looking at our series entitled Love One Another. So that's what we've been doing the last two messages. This will be the, the third message in that particular series. Uh, we looked at the command to love one another. We saw that we love as Jesus loved. Um, we saw in last week what we called love one another the minimums. Do you remember what those two minimums were? Anybody? Hmm. Forbear, which means to put up with one another. <laughs> and then to forgive one another, be kind to one another. So those are the minimum essentials. Um, today's message is entitled, Love One Another, Their Prohibitions. So if you really love your fellow Christian, you're not going to do these things that are mentioned today. All right, so let me give some caveats and preface before I preach the message. I usually don't do this, but I have absolute, complete confidence as I preach the Word of God today, freedom to preach with strength, conviction, and boldness. I was amazed as I studied the passage today when God says the five, if you love one another, don't do these five things. All five negative commands are written in such that God says, stop doing this. This is happening in your church, so stop it. If God felt that it was important to put it in such a tense and then inspire it in his word, I can tell you with confidence it's probably happening in every local church even this one. So, would you, at this moment, ask God to convict your heart? If you're doing any one of these five, ask God for the grace to stop it. So, a lot of this has to do with the relationship between a church and its pastor. I didn't pick the material. The Holy Spirit picked it. I'll preach it the way it's supposed to be taught. A lot of it has to do with your relationships with one another. I didn't pick the material. God put it and breathed it in his inspired word. It's authoritative and binding upon your life. So as we go through this today, not only will I shine the, the flashlight on the sin, like cockroaches, I hope it runs and tries to hide. All right? I hope that it will leave our church, but I'll also try to shine the flashlight forward so you know how not to do these five things. All right, so is that caveat understood? Laying it out? I didn't look at this and find a message and say, what do these people need? All right, that's not the way I approach this. It's just the series. It's the way that the material laid it out. And as I went through the passage this week, oh, did the Lord talk to my own heart. So that's like every message. So a pastor has to prepare his own heart and be under the same authority of the word that God's people are. So now you're wondering what I'm going to preach, right? Is that a good opening? Is that going to get your attention going? All right, so the big idea here is love one another. Can you say that with me? Love one another. All right, Galatians 5.26 is uh, the key verse here that goes along with today. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So these are some of the uh, prohibitions 
if you love one another, don't do these things one to another. Now, remember, one another is talking about our group. You might be shocked if you're a new Christian to find out that in a church, God says these activities are going on because they're quite toxic. They're quite toxic. And so people from outside the church sometimes can look in and see the hypocrisy easier than those that are inside the church and can't see what's going on. So, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, that's our key verse that goes along with this, but uh, we're going to start not here, we're going to start in another passage, so keep a ribbon here, keep your bulletin here, we're going to come back and we're going to lay that verse out, but that's our theme verse, so that you can see uh, the one another. Do you see that at the end of the verse? One another. So as a group of people, we have to take care of ourselves, and we have to love one another. All right, so the first one comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. So would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and look with me at verse 6. The church in the city of Corinth was a church that had a lot of problems. So the Apostle Paul is directed by God to write this letter to them to confront and to troubleshoot their problems. So we come here to the fourth chapter, early in the book, and this is what he says. In these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos, for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you should be puffed up for one against another. All right, so what's going on? Well, if you go back to chapter 1 and um, look at verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that you all speak the same thing, and that there should be no divisions among you, but that ye should be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. So Paul is tackling this church and its issues and its, its struggles, and their struggles of life when God's people come together with new life, then there are struggles because we're learning to live the life of Jesus and to set the life of the flesh aside. But in the Corinthian church, there were divisions. So look at verse 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, that's Peter, or uh, I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So he's addressing this, this topic of party factions within the church. Um, some of you 
follow other pastors throughout the week, which I don't have a problem with that as long as they're Bible preaching pastors, but you listen to their, their podcasts, you listen to their sermons, you might watch their television program, and so forth. Great, all right? But some people really get into the personalities of that teacher, and they become little evangelists for that teacher. Are you with me? Are you following what I'm saying? Are you familiar with how people do that? Well, this is what the Corinthian church was doing. I sure like the way Paul writes and preaches. Nah, I don't like Paul at all. Peter is better. But, you know, Peter can be kind of, well, he just says what he thinks without really, you know, filtering it. Peter doesn't have a filter, so I don't like Peter. But I'll tell you, this other person says, the smoothest speaker is Apollos. Man, he knows how to deliver a really good sermon. I mean, his illustrations are right on. I don't fall asleep. I mean, after all, Paul had a young, he killed a man by a sermon one time, right? A young man fell out of the window and died, and Paul had to bring him back to life. You know, so Apollos, he's so smooth, man, he, he, he's slick. He can keep your attention. And then other people are so spiritual, it's like, man, you guys, you're so carnal, you're caught up in Paul and Apollos and Peter. I just follow Jesus, all right? I'm more spiritual than you are. And so they, they have all of this going on, all right? So when we come to this first prohibition, if we love one another, now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 4, 6, that no one of you should be puffed up for one against another. So, here's the rule with partisans. Maybe within Christianity at large you follow some teacher, or maybe in your own local church there are leaders, and you've got a favorite teacher, you, you really like the way they're going, this favorite leader. All right, nothing wrong with that, okay? However, if you proceed to do what the Holy Spirit says you're not supposed to do, then you've got an issue here. All right, let's look at this. So, they are for the one and against. It's the Greek word kata, which is a preposition where you can look down on somebody. You know what the phrase means, to look down on someone? All right, so you're for one person, and you're looking down on the other, not merely uh, just a second person, but a different sort, okay? So you're, you're choosing to not like somebody, and you're rejecting them, um, not just out of your personal preference, which, by the way, it is. It's just your personal preference. But you're, you're criticizing them. You're finding fault with them. So the Greek implies that you be not puffed up as ye are. So God is telling the Corinthian church, church, you got a problem. You are puffed up people. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, to be puffed up is only used by Paul in the book of Corinthians and Colossians, and it means to use a pair of bellows. Okay. And a pair of bellows, what do you use bellows for? Well, to fan the flame, so to speak. 
to turn the heat up, to get the fire going. So now do you see if you love one another in your church, you don't get into a partisan mindset where you look at your leaders in your church and you begin to take sides. So this is what God says to all churches because he has inspired it in his word. So there are three reasons that Paul gives here in the setting that this is wrong. All right, go back uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 with me and look at verse 5 of chapter 4. Okay, therefore, judge nothing before the time. So the first issue is you're judging God's servant at the wrong time. If you're criticizing a leader in your local church, you're passing judgment and you're doing it at the wrong time because there is a day for judgment. Now, your observation, your criticism may be true, but you're just doing it at the wrong time. And you need to wait because when the Lord's return, uh, when he comes, he'll evaluate the lives and the ministries of the leaders. So wait until that day. Don't jump in and do it now. Wait for God to do it, okay? So only God can do that. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. So the Corinthians were passing judgment on Paul. Uh, they were actually playing God and assuming to themselves the privileges that only God has. How often have we made that mistake in our own lives? how easily it is to misread a situation, to misjudge a person. The second reason why lifting up one teacher so that you can tear down another teacher, to criticize a leader so that you can say, my leadership is correct, here is that you're judging by the wrong standard. Look at the first part of verse 6 of chapter 4. And these things, brethren, um, I have transfigured to myself and to Apollos. So Paul knows that this is going on, and he says, all right, so let's take two of these leaders. Let's take myself, and let's take Apollos, and let's look at this situation. So I'm going to transfer this situation to the two of us, all right, um, for your sakes. No, it's for your benefit. So why would God record this in his inspired word today? What's it say in the text? For your benefit. So God wants to bless you today. God wants to bless your local church. So, for your sakes, that you might learn not to think of men above that which is what? What's it say? Written. Well, what's written? All right, open your eyes and look up here. I'm going to hold it up really high. The Bible. The second reason why your critical spirit and your judgment is wrong is because you're judging leaders by your own opinions and standards and not what's in the Word of God. Folks, you can always find fault with a human being because they're not perfect. Judge them by this book and leave your opinions to yourself. That's what God says. Paul says that you might learn not to do this. 
So don't judge your leaders that way because you're using the wrong standard. Don't go beyond the authority of Scripture to make your judgment. Follow the standard that God has written down in the Word of God. Now, you know, when it comes to dealing with different personalities and so forth, um, we have to set aside personality. And we have to get back to the standard. That's God's Word. Third reason why this is wrong you're judging with the wrong motive. Look at the second half of verse 6. That no one of you be puffed up for one against another. So each group in the church was tearing down the other preachers in order to build up the man that they liked. Their motive was not at all spiritual. They were promoting division in the church by being partisan for one leader as opposed to the other leader. They needed to examine their own hearts and get rid of the pride that was destroying the church. So this is from Warren Wiersbe in his commentary. God's servants are stewards of his truth. The key test is, have they been a faithful to obey and to teach the Bible? Not, not just faithful in preaching, but faithful in living. And so both Samuel and the Old Testament told Israel, you judge. I've not manipulated any situation in my whole ministry as a, as a prophet and a judge over Israel. Judge me. You can't find anything in me. And Paul said the same thing. You can't find that in me. So this is the first one, all right? Don't be puffed up one for another. Don't get into the partisan issue in your local church. Don't put one leader up and put the other leader down. Don't go there. All right, now the next one is found in Galatians chapter 5. So now you can go back to where you were in Galatians 5. We were in verse 26. But we're going to go uh, up a few verses to Galatians 5, verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. Bite and devour. Those two words are words from the wild animal kingdom. Two animals in a fight for life or death. And so whatever they've got to defend themselves, their fangs, their claws... There's a desperate life uh, struggle taking place here. Just they're lashing out, they're biting, they're clawing, they're, they're just whatever they can do. These, these wild animals are just going at one another. Have you ever seen two dogs fight? Yeah? You, you don't try to separate fighting dogs because you'll end up getting bit severely, all right? Uh, you might be able to, you know, get in there somehow with a stick or something, a big stick or some big object and kind of get them separated from one another. But it, these are, are wild animals that are going at one another, okay? Um, consumed. So usually in the wild animal kingdom, one animal is going to eat the other, okay? So the, the point here in this is that 
one side is not content unless they win. So this is a deadly struggle. So that condition, once again, was existing in the Galatian churches. God says, stop this action. It's a strong expression of partisan hatred exerting itself in mutual injury. All right, so now this is not just one party over here trying to, to get the preeminence in, in the recognition of being the leader. This is when the other one is over here trying to get the preeminence too, and they're trying to get the preeminence, and they're locked in this life and death struggle, and they're <laughs> scratching and clawing and going at it and banging heads and knocking one another and all these vicious statements and words and phrases, they're published all over the place. If you're not familiar, does this even sound like church? This happens all the time. But God is saying, if you love one another, don't bite and devour one another. Just don't go there, okay? So, um, to be consumed, this is the consequences of such competitive thinking in the heart and mind of a person. By consuming one another, Paul doesn't mean that they're gonna lose their status as Christians, but that such altercations within the church will at length, if unchecked, and if persistent, destroy the organic life of the church. The church will blow up, it'll be all done. Have you ever heard of church splits? It's because somebody has got that attitude in their head. And they love a fight. And they want to be in charge. So this is what God is saying. So this is very rare uh, to be used this way in the New Testament. But the organic life of the body will be destroyed by its own members. The sad thing was, the church didn't die because it was attacked from the outside. The church died, folks because from the inside it had rot and decay. It killed itself. Are you following me? So if we love one another, we don't tolerate this in our local church. All right, now let's go to uh, 526. Uh, so you're just a few verses away. So what is the big idea today? What do we want you to come away from today? Love one another. Would you say that with me? Love one another. So don't be... Uh, trying to be partisan and, and setting up, puffed up against one another. Don't bite and devour one another. And then this one is, don't let us be desirous of vainglory. Let us cease from becoming vainglorious. All right? Um, so this is uh, the big issue that, that's taking place here. So vainglory, this is what it means, Okay. It means you fall into the, the devil's trap, his hooks or his clutches of spiritual air. Vainglorious dogza, someone wanting their own glory. That means they like diatrophies that Paul had to rebuke. They're seeking the preeminence. Now, the idea here is this. It's a contrast with the state of mind 
which seeks the glory of God. So you're either your own glory or the glory of God. You don't go about seeking your own glory. So then you have two participles here in this verse, 526, that tell us how not to do this by provoking and envying. All right, so let, let's just talk about this for just a second, and I'm just going to read Scripture to you, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Herein lies a trap for every pastor. God told Peter to write to the elders and tell them, do not lord it, your position, do not lord it over the church. So every spiritual leader has to know how to serve from the bottom. He has to have that same mindset that every Christian, as we looked at last week's message, is better than they are. For such a person, however, you, the congregation, give them respect. Now, I say that for every pastor in every church that's listening to this message, not just my situation. Okay? This is the eternal word of God that's being put out here. And so, count your leader worthy of double honor. Give to them what God says is scripture. Now, folks, that's not going to go to my head. Because God has told me and given me some instructions that I have to obey. And if it ever does go to my head, well then, you can confront that. You have the authority of the word of God to do so. So, the pastor is under the same rule, not to think of himself higher than others. He cannot lord his position. So, provoking. This means challenging. You challenge one another. You call forth, you stir up strife. This is one of the seven things in the book of Proverbs that God hates, is one who sows discord among the brethren, and such attitudes in and of themselves will lead to the destruction of the church, Well, it will eat itself from the inside out like a cancer. This can happen in any local church because God has written it in the present ongoing tense, this action is going on, it has to stop. And if he inspired it in his word, then it remains in force for us today. So don't become conceited. Don't provoke one another, envying one another. So instead, let's go back up to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. How, how do you avoid all of this? All right. So you remember me telling you as I prefaced it and gave you some caveats that I would shine the flashlight and hopefully that sin like cockroaches would run for the dark, but that I would also shine the flashlight and show you how to, how to get out of it and what you should do. Do you remember me saying that? All right, here we go. Verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5 gives us the answer. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only not use your liberty for an occasion to serve the flesh, but by what? Serve 
Who? There's our phrase again. Love one another. So, how do you avoid all of this? You become that person's servant. Yesterday, this verse became a reality to me as I was using the weed eater outside the front gate. One of the neighbors didn't pick up after their dog, but the weed eater did. Could smell it and taste it. Took off my safety glasses, and I'm glad I had them on. Okay? And I thought to myself, but then I said, you know what? This is what happens when you're a servant. Thank you, Lord. I love serving. I love doing this today. It's fun. It's how I get my exercise. It's how I stay physically active. I love doing that. And it's one of my spiritual gifts. And so I wasn't upset and I wasn't thinking anything carnal at all. Like, why didn't somebody else do this? Right? Uh, it wasn't my line. It's like, well, hey, praise God, I got to discover it. <laughs> okay? So, don't provoke, don't call it out, but rather, by love, serve one another. Become their servant. So, these sins that are listed are socially uh, malevolent modes of fleshly living. So, Paul says instead... Here's the way forward. Become that person's servant. What can you do for them? So what are we supposed to do for our enemies? If they're hungry, what do we do? If they're thirsty, what do we do? Yeah, right? So we serve. We, we go forward in service. Um, years ago, my daughter had a junior high experience where there was this individual within the class that was just mean, just cutting the flesh all the time. And she walked up to my daughter one morning and she said, you just irritate me. You bother me. When I just see you, I'm irritated. My daughter said, I'm sorry that I irritate you. What can I do to help? Serve one another serve one another. So, truly Christian relationships are governed not by rivalry, but by service. The correct attitude to other people is not, I'm better than you are and I'll prove it, nor is it, you're better than I am and I resent it. But, you're a person of importance in your own right because God made you in his own image and Christ died for you, and it is my joy and privilege to serve you. That is freedom. That is freedom. Um, I have a whole page here, and for sake of time, I, I won't wrote, write, uh, read to you what Warren uh, Wearsby wrote, but if you have his uh, B-series, I would encourage you to go back and read this chapter. If you uh, have never heard of Warren Wearsby, he, he's a pastor who's already in heaven, but uh, he was out of uh, Dallas, Texas, I believe, and uh, he's written a whole commentary series on the entire book of the Bible. Uh, it's called the B series. And each book of the Bible would be like Be Joyful or, uh, you know, something along that line. Some B 
than an action be seen. And so if uh, you can get those, purchase those online. Some of you have um, Bible study systems on your phone. I highly recommend Warren Wearsby to you. He's a, he's a really good Bible teacher. But um, so this is what is going on. The flesh always looks for an investment to be returned with interest. It's capable of nothing but self-enhancement. This is Warren Wearsby's quote. Serving without reference to return is beyond its conceptual framework. Therefore, loving others well only comes through the Spirit's leading to us to trust in the faithfulness of God for our needs so we're free to be His tools in the lives of others. It is that simple. I'm not free to serve you if I'm worried about my needs won't be met. I'm bound to serve myself, but the way of the Spirit is always towards greater faith that is willing to wait on God's time, willing to walk His way no matter uh, the depth of suffering that love and hands-on service plunges us into. Loving service is a step of faith. My well-being surrendered into the Father's hands, not into yours or mine fastened in mine. So, service is the way forward to avoid all of this. All right, let's move on. The next one, all right? Um, is do not lie to one another. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. So you can turn over there. Colossians 3, verse 9. How you find it is, uh, I always have this little, um, an acronym, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I, I say General Electric Power Corporation, that's how I can remember the order of those books of the Bibles. And um, so Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. And um, here's a, a help for you if you're a new Christian and you're trying to read Paul's letters. When Paul writes a letter, it's usually the first two or three chapters are really deep and rich doctrine, and you kind of go, mm, I don't get it. But then he takes the second half of the book, and he puts on the blue jeans and the boots and shows us how to live it out in practice. And so here in chapter 3 of Colossians, it's the second half of the book, and uh, he shows us how to live it out. And so he, he says this, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. So lying is one of the things that God hates. And if you're sitting out there struggling and will not acknowledge to yourself that maybe you have one of these other sins that God has already mentioned today in his word, quit lying to the Holy Spirit, quit lying to yourself, quit lying to those in the church. Listen to what God is saying. Now, once again, this is in the present middle imperative. It, it means either stop lying or do not have the habit of lying. Are Christians supposed to lie? Wow. God's showing us some pretty ugly, toxic stuff about ourselves today, isn't he? Yeah, this is, this is terrible stuff, but... If God says it's how he views the church, folks, then let's take his view. And so when we become a Christian, lying is one of those things that we're supposed to put off. It's, it's the old nature, okay? So we put the old nature off with his practices. 
um, that person that we were before we came to know Jesus has to die. And we have to put on the new man that we are really now in Jesus. So the new person being constantly renewed uh, with uh, respect to complete and perfect knowledge, which is according to the image of Jesus who created them. So the benefit here is not just for you that you conquer a personal vice, but it's in the context of the church. Lie not one to another. Well, Paul puts it in Ephesians 4 this way, that lying hurts the whole. It does damage to the whole church, not just your life, but the whole church. So put away lying. All right, let's uh, look at the last one here today. Well, before we do, look up at the screen and let's say our theme together. Love one another. All right, nice and loud. Love one another. All right, the last one is don't grudge one against another. All right, so this is James chapter 5, verse 9. So you can go to James. James chapter 5, verse 9, Grudge not one against another. Brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Grudge not is murmur not. Means to... <sighs> to sigh or to groan. This is what partisan spirit does. Partisan spirit looks at another person, and in the flesh, they go, ah, that person just irritates me. What you've just done is you've passed judgment and sentence upon your brother or sister beyond what is written in the Word of God. And God says, stop it. Stop, stop, stop. Don't do this kind of behavior. Um, in the Greek, it has the um, prohibition, the little word may, all right, um, with the present active indicative of stenzo, to groan. Stop groaning against one another. Okay? Once again, if you want to find fault, there's always going to be something in the Scripture where you uh, can, it, it, or always something in your flesh where you can find fault with another person. There's always going to be something to groan about, roll your eyes, to breathe, to flare your nostrils, to fret, to, to grudge them. Stop doing that. Now, once again, not only shining the flashlight so the cockroach runs to the darkness, but shining the flashlight forward. If you're so obsessed with what other people are doing, how do you stop that? Second half of the verse. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. All right. So you're judging. God says stop it. And get your eyes off of that person. Look over at the doorway because there's somebody standing in the door. It's Jesus. And if he's looking at your heart, 
you're going to be judged because you're judging your brother. So how do you stop that? Quit looking at that person. Quit complaining and grudging and groaning and, 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 and just sighing. And look at Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So once again, it's the, the first heiress, passive subjunctive. Just quit this ongoing action. So this is what Jesus was, was saying in, in Matthew chapter 7. Um, standeth before the door, okay? Uh, Christ is always evaluating his church. Hmm. Think about that. A person who has a problem looking at a human being and making a fleshly evaluation of their ministry, their, their walk with Jesus, the things that just irritate them about that person, guess what? Jesus is also constantly looking at your heart. He's watching that. That doesn't go unnoticed. The scripture says he's prepared his throne for judgment. So, the way forward, serve one another, get your eyes on Jesus. And when you get your eyes on Jesus, then you have somebody that you can compare yourself to. Because you'll be able to look at him. So, as I said before in this message, this was not material that I went to looking for something to preach. No, it just laid out in, in the series as we're going through. And my heart was, was pricked. My heart was convicted. Um, I have to first submit myself. And so then I prayed, God, if five times you say this is going on, then I'm not as dumb as, I, as a pile of rocks. I get it. You're saying this goes on in local churches. I need to preach it. Give me boldness to preach it. So now you know your heart today. I don't know your heart. All I can do is preach the word of God. Let him work in your heart. And be joyful. Serve one another. Look at Jesus. So stop these five actions. So these are love one another, they're prohibitions. The big idea is we come away from here today loving one another.